They've been playing the game their entire life. From the playground. I promise to exercise and eat right. Don't forget 60 minutes of play a day, right? I'm playing the NFL. Yes, sir. I'm addressing number one. Maybe. To their high school. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. Let's go. To the university. We have 95 players here, so accomplished as athletes in high school. We gave them full scholarships to the best football program in the country. Now, their lives are about to change forever. Become your mom's favorite player? Whoa. This is Locked On NFL, and this is the Locked On Podcast Network Mock Draft. Welcome to day five of the Locked On NFL Mock Draft special. Brian Peacock here alongside the scout, Matt Williamson. We have 26 picks down. We are into the final six selections of round one, but we will be back tomorrow finishing this thing up, recapping what went down in round one and checking in with those teams that did not have selections in round one. And there are a number of those teams. Uh, There's six more teams tomorrow. Yeah, that we'll find out what ideally they would be doing with their first picks uh, in the draft, which will be in the second round. Dallas Cowboys among those teams now after trading out of number 17. So a number of teams to check in with, recap how this thing went down tomorrow. But today we've got to finish up round one. That starts with the Seattle Seahawks, who are currently on the clock mat and a number of players still on the board. There are some defenders, some corners, and a few wide receivers that I think. And look, this is a deep wide receiver class. I don't know how many first-round grades teams will have. I think a lot of the thought is that maybe you can wait on a wide receiver in round one because it's deep, and you can get a really good player in round two and three. Is that why we're seeing some of these wide receivers fall? I, I guess. I mean, I think Justin Jefferson, frankly, would have go, will go by this point, will be off the board and is the fourth receiver taken and would be my number one guy available, followed pretty quickly by Denzel Mims, who I like quite a bit too. Patrick Queen's still available. I think you know he could go earlier than this as well. A bunch of corners, which I think is very realistic. Um, I do think the wide receiver falling situation, I, I find curious, but I've seen – I've ran mock drafts. I've seen mock drafts where there's a run on them. You know, they start going like crazy or everyone says, I'll get mine in round two. And both absolutely could happen. You know, and I thought about that more and more, especially picking for the 49ers at 13. Do you go another way, get another blue chip player rather than pass on one of those top three wide receivers? And for me, it was Jerry Judy. A spoiler, by the way, if you want to go back and listen to all the other episodes and, and get those picks in, if you haven't heard one through 26, you should definitely pause now and go do that and then come back to this one. And it's worth listening to. I mean, it's such a great week we've had here with all the hosts oh, and fun. the college hosts and the NFL hosts and the guys from Locked On NFL Draft podcast and the Draft Dude podcast, which we will uh, hear from momentarily, actually, but um, the idea that you can wait on wide receiver, and I thought about it, and this draft class at wide receiver gets compared to the 2014 class quite often, and I'm thinking about, okay, well, let's put us in that situation. What if you have the opportunity to draft Odell Beckham in the mid-first round area, you know, somewhere between 10 and 15, where mm-hmm. I was picking for the 49ers, and this is where my head was at. Do you draft the guy that you think is outrageously good and could be a true number one for your team? Or do you wait and draft a guy in a deep class in the second or third round? And I'm thinking, well, look, you can wait. If you think the guy that you're going to draft here is great, I think you take him, even though it's a deep class, because you can wait and you might get Allen Robinson. You might get Devontae Adams, but you also might get Cody Latimer or you might get 
Dante Moncrief, or you might get Josh Huff, or you might get Bruce Ellington. You know, you might get Martavis Bryant, who looks good for a while, but obviously had his issues, and and now he's bounced out he of the league because of the warts, you right? Know, and then fights you, <laughs> right? So you, know? you can you don't get to draft 12 receivers in round two and three and then pick the one that works out, right? So it, to me, waiting because it's deep doesn't make a lot of sense because it doesn't mean you're guaranteed to get a great one just because it's deep in the second or third round. Now, if you want to go and draft a couple of guys and that's the route you want to go and you think it's worth it because of the value you see in a different position, a different player, that's great. But don't wait on wide receiver just because you think it's good and you might get one later. I still want to draft the best one because I want the best players on my team. So that's the way I thought about this thing. And I think it's a little bit overblown, the idea that you can just wait and it's like, oh, we'll just get a great one later. That's not much. That's not a guarantee you're going to find some awesome wide receiver in the second or third round, although there will be some that come out of this draft. No, it's a good point. And for your Niner argument, I thought Judy was an easy pick because I think both of us agree that he's the number one receiver in this class. So that was kind of a no-brainer the way this fell. Again, if you haven't listened, go back and listen because it's been very good. But I don't want to discredit the little study I did a month or so ago, too, because I, I discounted the 2014 draft, and I went for the last five. And the second and third rounds have been better than the first round. And that's a five-draft sample size. And I think the depth in this class is even better than that. So I wouldn't have any problem with the Eagles, the Vikings, the Raiders, you know, these teams that are really wide receiver needy, grabbing their guy, Jefferson Mims, whomever, in this round, and then, you know, not worrying about it again, get their dude. But I also think there's going to be quite a few stars from day two in this draft. And to me, when you break it down that way, and that makes a lot of sense, it's about tiers, right? Is Are you still drafting from a similar tier if you do wait, or do you think there's a nice gap? And if there is a gap, get the better player still, and, and you can wait. And also, it depends on other positions. Do you have other needs? Are there other really good players on your board that might rank higher? So there's a lot of factors in all of this, but right now we're seeing some wide receivers out there. I want to check in with Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino of the Draft Dudes podcast to set up the scene here for day five of this mock draft and picks 27 through 32. Joe, we saw no moving and shaking up and down the draft board uh, throughout yesterday's picks. Everybody held status quo. We saw some really good football players come off the board. Uh, I'm interested to hear from you, Joe. What should we expect from here on out with these perennial playoff contenders, teams like the Seattle Seahawks and the Baltimore Ravens and the Green Bay Packers and this defending Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, it's exciting to look at this group of teams because these were the guys uh, that were right there at the end of things last year and, and teams that you feel like are looking for an X factor, that one final piece to kind of fill an important role and be the difference. And so I always kind of go back to what was the Achilles heel for these teams last year that uh, didn't put them over the hump and, and what type of corresponding move do they make here to add young talent at a position where failed them potentially in their their quest to get to the playoffs then obviously the Chiefs who won the Super Bowl we still know that they have questions in in that on that defense are they able to get a linebacker right now Patrick Queen is still on the board I'm sure they'd love him at 32 but there's also some talented cornerbacks and so you know will the Super Bowl champions get themselves a, a meaningful piece on the defense not only that Joe but some of these teams have lost 
a lot of firepower and free agency as well. The Baltimore Ravens front seven and their defense has been gutted in free agency this year. The Seattle Seahawks having Ziggy Onsen, Jadavion Clowney, uh, no longer on their active roster. Although Clowney has not signed, he may be a guy who returns the Tennessee Titans for all their ground and pound approach and, and being physical and running the football, losing offensive tackle Jack Conklin. Although we've seen six offensive tackles come off the board in the first 22 picks in this mock draft. So, you know, you, you look at that, it, it's pretty difficult to forecast, you know, specifically an Achilles heel for some of these teams because they've lost really big pieces in free agency too. Yeah, there's work to be done. And, and you know, there's a couple of receivers as well. Whenever we were kind of looking at this thing in the beginning, you would thought, you know, the Eagles at 21, the, the Vikings who were picking at 22, you know, would those be landing spots for guys like Justin Jefferson and Denzel Mims who have creeped into the first round conversation? Well, as we get to the last you know, six picks here this first round, those guys are still around. Will any of those uh, these teams here pull the trigger on those talented receivers? We're going to have to find out. It's coming. These picks are coming, and uh, we're going to put a ribbon on this first round before we get into the teams that didn't have a second round, or first round pick on the Friday show. Looking forward to the action today. Here we are. Let's get this thing going with the Seattle Seahawks, Matt, who are on the clock at pick 27 Still unsigned is Jadavian Clowney, so to me, that's easy. That defensive end is the highest need out there for the Seattle Seahawks. You could see a number of other positions. Seahawks are a team that moves down quite a bit, but if they stay on the clock here, how do you see it for Seattle? Yeah, they're always one of the most difficult teams in the league to predict, but fortunately, we're not guessing what Pete Carroll's going to do. We're guessing what the locked-on Seahawks folks are going to (laughs) do. It might be a little (laughs) bit easier, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so... I do think edge is absolutely a need. If you recall, they used a first-round pick on LJ Collier last year on the edge, which was head-scratching then Mm -hmm. and remains just as head-scratching. Now, I don't know that I – I mean, I think Jefferson and Mims are the best two players on the board, and I would not give them a hard time for going that way. But I think O-line or edge makes a lot more sense here. Yeah, O-line or edge does make some sense. And the Seattle Seahawks like big people, and they draft big people. So if they stick here and draft, I imagine it's going to be someone who meets a prototype physically and size-wise. And with that, the pick is in. So let's go to the Locked On Seahawks war room and get the pick at 27. With the 27th selection of the 2020 NFL Draft, the Seahawks select defensive end Yitor Gross Matos out of Penn State. While a trade down was considered, Seattle couldn't pass up on the opportunity to fill a major position of need. That's especially true with Jadevian Clowney still remaining unsigned. Gross Matos has your prototypical size for an NFL 4-3 defensive end, 6'4", 264 pounds, nearly 35-inch arms, Very productive player for the Nittany Lions over the past few seasons, racking up 35 tackles for loss and 17 and a half sacks. So he was equally productive against the run and rushing the passer. He was a first team all Big Ten selection in 2019, finishing off his collegiate career on a high note. Looking at where Gross Matos fits in Seattle, he's going to need some time to develop before he's ready to be a full-time starter. I anticipate he's going to be in a rotational role right off the bat. 
He's a player who may have been a top 10 pick in 2021 if he stayed in school for his senior season. He needs some work on refining counter moves. He has to do a better job using his hands technically, and he also has room to add muscle to his frame. Still, it's not out of the question he could produce at least five sacks as a rookie, especially if Clowney doesn't wind up returning and Gross Matos needs to take on a bigger role right away. He should make an immediate impact as a pass rusher in such a capacity with the upside to develop into a Pro Bowl caliber every down defensive end. Though he might not be quite as twitched up and maybe doesn't have quite the overall explosiveness athletically, Gross Matos compares favorably from a size and skill standpoint to Buccaneers defensive end Jason Pierre-Paul with development and time in the weight room. He has the ceiling to be a consistent double-digit sack producer and set a strong anchor off the edge as a run defender. If he winds up becoming that caliber of a player, this will be an outstanding selection late in the first round for Seattle. Yader Gross-Matos from Penn State, defensive line. Penn State likes to think of itself as linebacker U, but the defensive line has seen far more consistent production in NFL talent in more recent years. That will continue with Yadro Gross Matos, who is entering the NFL one year early. Yadro Gross Matos grew into being one of the top defensive linemen at Penn State and should have the potential to grow into a solid defensive lineman at the next level as well. The All-Big Ten lineman is coming off a season with 15 tackles for a loss and 9.5 sacks and has the potential to knock the ball loose as well. The best game Gross Matos played in 2019 came in the biggest game of the season. Although Penn State lost to Ohio State, Gross Matos recorded a season-high nine tackles with five solo tackles and two sacks against the Buckeyes, helping to fuel a second-half rally for the Nittany Lions that fell just shy in Columbus. Gross Matos will be a solid fit in any 4-3 defensive system, but he may need some work on shedding blockers at the line of scrimmage in the NFL. He does bring good speed and power to the field, though, which helps make him an attractive option for any team in need of help on the defensive line in 2020. This is Kevin McGuire of Locked On Nittany Lions, your source for Penn State content every day. Yitour Gross Matos, defensive end from Penn State. And yeah, like we thought, it's a, it's a big person and someone who meets the prototypes of a position and much more athletic He's a long, linear, pass-rushing defensive end. Very different shape and size of L.J. Collier from last year, and I think a lot bigger potential than L.J. Collier. Yeah, me too. I mean, again, I didn't understand the Collier pick when it happened, so I'm not playing Monday morning quarterback on that one. Uh, you had a good point last week about Gross Matos, and talk is cheap, but his talk was he expected to run under a 4-6 in the 40, and Let's say he runs a four five nine. I mean, what would the perception be of this player right now if he had actually run at the combine and run even a four six three or something like that? I mean, I think he'd have been long gone in our mock. So right. this makes perfect sense. He is the prototypical um, size length player at a need position. Boom, easy one. Yeah, and the thing I love about Gross Matos is that he's he had production. He had seventeen and a half sacks the last two years. While also you watch him play, you see all that length and size and. 6'5", 266, 35-inch arms. You know, I mean, that's just exactly how you draw him up for a defensive end pass rusher. He's an every-down type of player. He's got power off the edge. He can set the edge. He can get after the quarterback. You see the juice. You see the length. He's got some flexibility. You just That's exactly how you want him to look. And if you're drafting a pick 27, you want to swing for the fences and get that home run pass rusher. And he also is raw enough to where, even though he was productive, you can see how he could get a lot better in the NFL. So I love the Yitour Gross Mottos pick. And you're right, if he ran 4-6-3 at the combine 
and did all his full workouts, and he said he was going to run a 4-5. If he ran anything like that, I think we'd be talking about him as the 17th guy on the board rather than the 27th. Yeah, I think he'd be long gone. I'm sure he regrets not running. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that re- regret not yeah. running, especially the fast players. Maybe the guys who were slow are like, ooh, thank God, I have an excuse now not to put a bad time out there. But the fast guys have to be kicking themselves because they would have really helped themselves. And I think YGM Absolutely. would be one of those players. The Baltimore Ravens at pick 28 are now on the clock. And a lot of mocks have shown them going linebacker, much like the New Orleans Saints before them. And it's Kenneth Murray and it's Patrick Queen as far as the two linebackers that we see go here at this portion of round one. Kenneth Murray already selected by the Saints at 24. So is it easy for you here with Baltimore? Do you run the card up for LSU linebacker Patrick Queen? Do you look at running back? Do you look at offensive line? Do you look at some other places? Just go straight best player available for a very good playoff team. I I think Queen's the obvious one. But remember, they have two seconds, two thirds, two fourths. I mean, there'll be other linebackers, not at this level and not at this tier to that point. Um, and uh, another pass rusher wouldn't hurt, even though they added Calais Campbell. Gross Matos, I think, would have been attracted to attractive to them. I think they'd love to find their next Marshall Yonda, but that's probably a second round thing at this point. Uh, the one wild card to me, though, and this is a little bit of Steeler fan of me, kind of hoping it doesn't happen. But what if they went and drafted Jonathan Taylor? How hard would they be to play against? It's not a crazy idea, and they right. play a different brand of football than every team in the NFL right now. Why not build on that and, and grow that and just make that aspect of their team so difficult and keep coordinators up at night? Uh, of all the teams that could draft a running back in the first round, I kind of like Baltimore just because of the style of play they have. And if you're going to go all in on the ground game, go all in on the ground game. But uh, you mentioned the offensive line. I think if Cesar Ruiz was still on the board, I would have him as the best player. And that'd be a slam dunk pick, I think, for me, for the Ravens right here. But he is no longer available. So uh, a a lot of different directions that this team could go. One thing I think about off-ball linebacker, and I think about it this late in the draft, and I do have Isaiah Simmons very high on my board, and I would take him in the top 10. So it's a little bit of cheating say, oh, I would still take Simmons top 10, but usually I don't like taking first-round linebackers. It's not quite to the level of running backs the way I look at that position group, but you can find good linebackers later. So if there is a tie and there's a position like maybe a wide receiver or a defensive end or an offensive tackle or a position that you think you can't get a good one later, maybe linebacker, it's a tiebreaker, and you pass on the linebacker and try to draft one later, similarly to the defensive version of, of a running back. Maybe not to that degree, but that would be the argument against taking Patrick Queen here, even though he's probably yeah. the, the most ideal fit on the board. Yeah, and I think that's well said. I think it is somewhat comparable to a running back. And I'll take it even a step further, though, because I had so much of this conversation of, hey, you know, Devin Bush is a really good player for the Steelers, but is it really worth trading all these assets to go up to 10 from 20? And to your point, I think you can get good linebacker play, second, third round, those type of things. But if I can get a mismatch eliminator, you know, the league is all about mismatches. And if I can get a special second level player, I'm not saying Bush is or not, or Queen is or not, but they potentially are. I think that's worth it. And to me, that's almost like the running back argument of, do you pay, I mean, is McCaffrey or Kamara that guy? I mean, if you can bring more than just, being a running back and you're a multi-dimensional great player I think that holds true at linebacker too if you're a rare space player coverage player which queen might be 
then I'm on board, but not just, hey, we need a linebacker. I'm going to take this guy who's good, not great. Right. And if you're drafting a player in the first round, you have to ask yourself the question, first of all, how does he impact the passing game? And so yeah. the the days of that thumping 250-pound middle linebacker going in round one are are long gone. So that's a great point. And you bring up Christian McCaffrey, who just got a nice little payday, $64 million, yeah. a highest paid running back per year, 16 mil a season now for McCaffrey. And it's his ability as a receiver that helped him get that dollar amount, I think. And, and that's a great point because you're not talking about just the old school prototype for what these positions are. You've got to affect the passing game. And Patrick Queen can do that. Let's find out who the pick is for the Baltimore Ravens at 28 in the Locked On Ravens War Room. This is Kevin Ostreicher from the Locked On Ravens podcast. And with the 28 selection in the 2020 Locked On NFL mock draft, the Baltimore Ravens select Patrick Queen, the linebacker out of Louisiana State University. And for the Ravens, linebacker is a big need for them on the inside, especially. The Ravens saw Josh Bynes and Patrick Owasso both leave to the Cincinnati Bengals and the New York Jets, respectively. The only linebackers on the roster at the moment, at least inside linebackers, are LJ Fort, Otara Alaka, and Chris Board. Now, LJ Fort is a great complimentary piece, but you're not going to rely on him to start and play every single down. Now, for Baltimore, they don't necessarily need a three-down linebacker. Their defensive scheme actually has safety Chuck Clark coming down and playing inside linebacker quite a bit. But with the way the board fell in this mock draft, Queen was one of the best players available. Baltimore exercises the right to draft the best player available almost every year. It's why they have players like Marlon Humphrey on the roster. They didn't need a cornerback that year. They drafted him anyway, and now he's an all-pro starting in the secondary. For Patrick Queen, he's a guy the Ravens definitely need. The Ravens will draft at least one inside linebacker, whether it be Patrick Queen or Kenneth Murray in the first round or a guy like Malik Harrison or Troy Dye in the second to third rounds. But Queen is someone who you can't really pass up on if he is there. He's a rangy linebacker. He's excellent in coverage. He's fluid. He's flexible. He can take on blocks, shed blocks very well. He hits hard. Just the ultimate Raven. The Ravens look for players who are ultimately going to be a fit in their locker room, in their culture, as well as on the field. And Patrick Queen said in a Combine interview that he would be honored to be the first player ever selected by the Baltimore Ravens out of LSU. For the Ravens, he would immediately start on their roster. He would be that next three-down linebacker for them. Not that they necessarily need one at the moment, but when you have a talent like Patrick Queen on the board, you cannot pass him up. And this would make their defense ultimately one of the best in the NFL. Not that they aren't already, but with the additions of Clayus Campbell and Derek Wolf on the defensive line, as well as having Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, Earl Thomas, and more in the secondary, the only unit that needs to be shored up now is that inside linebacker unit. And right now, with this Patrick Queen pick in this locked-on NFL mock draft, the Ravens have done just that. For Patrick Queen, he's someone who's probably going to be gone by 28. He's someone who is uber-talented, and a lot of teams need an inside linebacker. I expect both Kenneth Murray and Patrick Queen to be gone by pick 28. So if the Ravens were to make a move up to maybe pick 18, pick 19, Patrick Queen or Kenneth Murray could be the target, but personally, I'm leaning just a hair more towards Patrick Queen right now. So be sure to follow the Locked On NFL podcast and other Locked On NFL shows for more NFL updates. Of all the LSU prospects in the 2020 draft, 
Linebacker Patrick Queen might have the most boom or bust potential. At nearby Livonia, Queen played both linebacker and running back. He is a supreme athlete in a 6'1", 227-pound frame. During his three seasons in Baton Rouge, Queen did not emerge as a full-time starter until late in his final season. He played in 12 games as a freshman, mostly on special teams and in a reserve role, and started just four games late in his sophomore season. He was constantly caught in a log jam on the depth chart behind guys like Devin White. But a suspension to a senior starter allowed Patrick Queen the opportunity to start 11 games during his junior season when he finished third on the team with 77 tackles, but made his most explosive plays behind the line of scrimmage, where he had nine and a half tackles for loss, showing his athleticism. Queen is a prototypical 2020 NFL linebacker with enough athleticism to defend sideline to sideline, to cover backs and tight ends coming out of the backfield, and also with enough power to stop the run. The season's biggest moments weren't too big for Patrick Queen. He intercepted Tua Tungo-Vailoa on the road in Tuscaloosa against Alabama late in the first half and was named the defensive MVP of the national championship game against Clemson. He might be short on experience, but he's high on the measurables, and that makes Patrick Queen a very intriguing prospect in the 2020 draft. This is Matt Moscona of Locked on LSU, your source for LSU content every day. And it was Patrick Queen, the linebacker from LSU, 6 feet, 229 pounds. He ran a 4-5 flat, 35-inch vertical, super athletic and instinctive, which I love for a young player. You know that his mind is just wired to play that position, which makes me feel really good about the athleticism, his ability to play in coverage and be a modern-day linebacker for the Ravens. Yeah, big school coming off a national championship, competitive, winning history, and he's super young for the position. So I think the Ravens would be very happy to turn in the car to 28 for Queen. Four more picks on today's program. The Tennessee Titans are on the clock at pick 29, followed by the Green Bay Packers, the San Francisco 49ers, and the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. Tennessee, they've, they're an interesting football team. They locked up their quarterback they franchise tagged their running back. They lost a pa- they lost an offensive tackle. They need a pass rusher. There's a lot of different ways that this team could go. They could look into the secondary. Uh, I don't know if they would take a running back if it's in their plans to to give. We just talked about how Christian McCaffrey got himself a mega deal. Are they going to give Derrick Henry that mega deal? Maybe should they look at the running back position, try to get a lot cheaper at that position. Let Henry walk after this season. An interesting conversation here with the Titans that for a really good team, they're drafted in the bottom four of the first round. They could go a lot of directions here. Yeah. And if it is running back, I think it would be Taylor just to keep with the style of play that worked so well for you last year. I'd have no qualms with that. I know they re-signed Kelly, but it would be nice to have a Conklin true replacement at right tackle. I don't see that player on the board. So I don't think that's a direction you go. I hope they're not content thinking Vic Beasley solves all their edge pass rushing needs. I like Landry a lot. I don't like Beasley at all. I don't know who that player is on the board right now. So that leaves me with probably a Logan Ryan replacement. So like a lot of people are talking about, boy, Clowney's still floating around the open market. And Ryan isn't Clowney, but no one ever brings his name up. I mean, I I haven't heard of one team sniffing around him. Yeah. He's a versatile big guy, but he's more, he's a slot. So maybe Gladney or Jalen Johnson. I don't think Diggs can do what Ryan does. We had talked about this name with the New England Patriots and 
having that style of defense. Zach Bond is still out there. Mm, I know he's a player that, that you like a lot, and recently it came out that uh, he had a diluted sample at the combine, which might hurt his stock. Maybe that is why he has slid this far and potentially slides out of round one, but that would be an interesting uh, outside linebacker pass rusher that would absolutely fit for Tennessee. Yeah, and his excuse, valid or not, I just read this too, was I just drank a bazillion glasses of water before my (laughs) weigh-in. And that's... I, I I believe those guys though. Like right. Bond wanted to be as big as he possibly could. He wanted to weigh as much as he possibly could. So chugging water helps in that regard, but it's also something that, you know, he easily could be guilty. I don't know, <laughs> you know <what laughs> I mean? it, but it's believable. Even if he's telling the truth, which is totally believable. And a lot of guys right. do that. And we heard from, I think it was uh Claypool, the wide receiver. People are thinking like, Oh man, he's bulking up to play tight end. And he told one of his friends or his agent or one of the media members, I can't remember who he told, but it came out after he ran his 40. He was like, oh, no, I just drank too much water. I, I, I shouldn't be weighing this much. I should be in the 220s instead of 230s right now. So <laughs> yeah. um, that definitely happens. And guys are trying to be as big as possible. Here's the question with Zach Bond. If he drank all that water to bulk up, he still only weighed in at 238 pounds for an edge rusher. So, I mean, if he's actually closer to 230, that's maybe right. a little bit iffy if he's that small and he's trying to drink five gallons worth of water just to get to 238, which is still already too small. I wonder if he's more KJ Wright strong side tight end four three backer than he is Ninkovich or Van Noy, who are gonna line up against tackles more often. And maybe I mean I'm totally speculating, but you know how there's just different perceptions when you read mm-hmm. it on a piece of paper. If you're Bond, maybe you are trying to get to two forty. You know, if you can right. get in there at two forty, that's your magic number, then I'm quote big enough. And I think he knows that that's his best position. He's an outside linebacker, stand-up pass rusher. That's where I want him to play. So I think that's what he was trying to get to. And so that all kind of adds up and makes sense. So we'll see if that actually... But the Titans like him, though, to your point. Right, absolutely. Yeah, well, let's find out. Is Zach Bond the pick? Is it another player at another position for the Tennessee Titans? Let's go to that Titans war room at pick 29 in the Locked On NFL mock draft. The Tennessee Titans run to the podium with pick 29 in the first round to select cornerback out of TCU, Jeff Gladney. Gladney is six foot, 183 pounds, and has the exact kind of play personality that a defensive-minded head coach like Mike Vrabel will be looking for in his secondary. Gladney excels on the field in press man coverage, mostly in the slot. He has good arm length and is very tenacious at the line of scrimmage and can disrupt wide receivers' routes, causing a delay in the pattern. He also does well in zone coverage because he has a high-level understanding of what the concept of the coverages that he is running and also the route combinations that will come his way from the offense. Gladney does a great job disrupting the ball once it gets to the wide receiver as well. While he doesn't have a ton of interceptions to rely on, he did have 28 pass breakups in his final two seasons at TCU and has shown that he will use that length to dislodge the ball from the wide receiver or get in the passing lanes. Gladney also has the ability to be a factor in the run game. He uses that tenacity and physicality from the slot corner position to come up and make stops in the alley against opposing runners. One thing that Gladney could look to improve is his tackling technique. While he's very aggressive and competitive at the point of attack, his aggressiveness can sometimes 
sometimes backfire and he can lose track of ball carriers, causing him to whiff on tackles. If he's able to clean that up, he should have no issue at the next level being a positive in run defense. And while Gladney does a lot well, he could stand to improve as an off-the-ball cornerback where he's not asked to be at the line of scrimmage and press his wide receiver. Often, he can be a little tentative and be a little hesitant and not drive on the ball once he finally sinks his hips if he is further enough away from the wide receiver. That's something that he'll have to get more comfortable with as he continues to grow as an NFL player. He will slide in perfectly with the Titans' defense, though, and fill the role most likely vacated by cornerback Logan Ryan who manned the slot for the Titans on defense the last three years. Gladney has a lot of similarities to Logan Ryan in the way that they're able to be physical and aggressive and competitive against the run and impress coverage but also use their IQ to understand what the opposing offense is trying to do. Gladney will have to learn on the job as a rookie and most likely will have to share the slot duty with second-year player Amani Hooker until he is completely ready to take on the role full-time. But once he progresses and lives up to his potential, Gladney has the ability to take the Titans' defense to the next level, especially against speedsters that they will face in the AFC at the slot wide receiver position. Jeff Gladney, TCU cornerback. As a four-year starter for the Horned Frogs, Gladney recorded five interceptions and solidified his position as a cover corner, earning him All-Big 12 Conference by Pro Football Focus and second-team All-Big 12 by the coaches. As a junior in 2018, Gladney surfaced as one of the leading defensive backs in the Big 12, tallying 30 solo tackles, two interceptions, and a forced fumble. That same season, Gladney was rated number one in the Big 12 by Pro Football Focus in lowest passer rating allowed at 46.9, with a minimum of 200 cover snaps. At 5'10", and 191 pounds and a wingspan of over six foot three. Gladney is an extremely competitive blitzer who's strong-minded and tenacious on the play. He's sharp on instincts, which allows him to succeed at anticipating those routes. But despite his natural athleticism, versatility, and physical style of play, Gladney is below average in size with his leaner build and narrower hips, so he does lose physical edge in those areas. He's slimmer in frame, so teams will have to determine if he'll be a better fit to plug in playing outside or in sub packages. But he definitely projects to be a starting corner in the NFL. I'm Brian Moot. And I'm Jasmine Sadry of Locked On Big 12. Your source for Big 12 content every day. They went with the cornerback. They wanted the scrappy cover guy out of TCU, Jeff Gladney. And it sounds like they were very excited about that pick to see him still on the board. And I understand that. Again, I mean, a lot of this to me is the, the Logan Ryan leaving town. I mean, a lot of people focused on What's going to happen with Tannehill and Henry and then Conklin, probably in that order. But Ryan's been a major contributor for them. And instead of paying him big bucks, now you got a guy presumably on a five-year contract. He is scrappy. He can play the slot. He can play outside. This makes perfect sense. I mean, corners don't grow on trees. Absolutely. And again, he's another one of those players that ran at the combine. And I think at corner especially, and for these players, there's a lot of guys that are late round one, early round two grades, the guys that ran and ran well and worked out of the combine really helped themselves. And Gladney doesn't wow you physically, 5'10", 191, but he ran under 4'5". He had that 4'4", 840 time, 37 and a half inch vertical. So he showed the athleticism. He's scrappy. He plays bigger. He's so competitive, plays bigger than his 5'10", 191 frame. I like the Logan Ryan comparison. And I actually, the more I think about it, it's a pretty darn good fit for the Titans. Yeah, it really is. I could see why... Fills a major need. It's a hard position to find. He's a good player. It's value, cost-effective. There's a lot of things I like about it. 
So if you are the Green Bay Packers and you're selecting 30th in the NFL draft, you lost in the NFC Championship game, you have to be very excited about what's left you right now because I think wide receiver is a big position. And we've talked about how a couple of wide receivers have fallen here. Jalen Rager, uh, Justin Jefferson, Denzel Mims, all still on the board. There's a number of guys that I think that could go right after that group as well. And it'll be interesting to see how teams, and we've already seen how some teams think about that position. Um, a little bit of a surprise, Brandon Ayuk going at 21. I don't think it would shock any of us if some of those other names I just mentioned would have gone at 21 instead and Ayuk was still on the board. So the Green Bay Packers, I don't want to just pigeonhole them into wide receiver, but the board has fallen well at that position. Give Aaron Rodgers some more weapons. Give Devontae Adams some help on that offense. Uh are there any other positions you could see them going with here? Offensive tackle maybe could be a position that the Packers target at pick 30. I was going to say Ezra Cleveland, you know, I mean, they've done a really good job of grooming tackles and linemen during the Rogers era and Belaga has gone. I mean, an upside offensive lineman, particularly a tackle would make a lot of sense with how the true Packer organization views things. And that's what worries me. Like if I were making this pick, I would be torn between Jefferson and Mims. I have a higher grade on Jefferson and the Packers have a lot more Mims like body types that really haven't worked out that well. But that deep speed is alluring to me with Rogers as my quarterback and Adams as my number one, but I would go with Jefferson, but the Packers, I worry, I don't know how many times I've said this on the pod, podcast, I worry that they think they're done at wide receiver after signing Funches. I just yeah. hope that's not true. And the the style of wide receiver, they want that power forward, yeah. it seems like, and they've got a number of the same guy. I, I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe you, could, you have a chance here at the end of round one to add a little bit more juice, maybe some shiftiness. That's how I just can be your center. Right. So you have those types (laughs) of players, but now you need your backcourt. You need your uh, long range shooters here, I think, and and maybe some shiftier players. So we'll find out if the Packers add some speed because the pick is in Peter Bukowski standing by in the locked on Packers war room with the pick at 30 in the locked on NFL mock draft. Every place I thought a receiver was likely to go off the board, I was holding my breath, hoping that it wasn't Justin Jefferson. I thought for sure the Eagles were going to take him. There were a number of places where I thought Jefferson would go off the board. How often does a 20-year-old who runs 4-4, who just caught 100 passes in the SEC for the national champion, fall this far in the draft this is someone who can play inside we know that part of it because that's what he did in baton rouge can he play outside that's the question and that's why he's not going to be a fit for every team necessarily but he is a fit there for the green bay packers they don't have that traditional slot type player and matt lafleur's offense does not require a cole beasley julian edelman randall cobb type that is a change for packer fans who are used to seeing someone like Randall Cobb in the slot. But when you look at the Shanahan tree offenses, the guys in the slot, players like Mohamed Sanu, Cooper Cup, Emmanuel Sanders, and even Debo Samuel at times in San Francisco, they don't fit that kind of body type. They can play more like Justin Jefferson. And to me, The floor of a player like Jefferson is Mohamed Sanu, someone who can get you eight yards on third and six, who's going to make contested catches in those tight areas and isn't going to wow you in any ways that makes you go, oh, that guy is special. But it's the polish. 
It's the route running. It's the ability to be tough after the catch. And that 4-4 speed in Indianapolis, that was eye-opening because what it tells us is he is someone with the athletic potential to make plays down the field. The Packers could use an injection of speed, and that's something that they can get later in the draft. I fully expect them come draft day to double up at receiver or at least find some kind of secondary playmaker, whether it's Memphis running back receiver combo Antonio Gibson or Texas's Devin DuVernay. Someone like that could be a great complement to someone like Jefferson, who is mostly going to work underneath and the middle of the field. The Packers haven't had that in Green Bay really since Randall Cobb was in his prime or perhaps Jermichael Finley in the tight end realm, and they have been struggling to find a tight end to give them that consistency as well. Justin Jefferson can do all of that. He can stretch the seam from the slot. He can work underneath. He can create after the catch and do all the things that the players currently on the roster can't do from that slot position to lift up this Packers offense. Whatever questions NFL teams might have had about wide receiver Justin Jefferson's breakaway speed, he answered at the Combine when he posted a 4-4 40-yard dash. It's strange to see a receiver overlooked when he posts a season with 111 catches for 1,540 yards and 18 touchdowns, but that's kind of what happened to Jefferson in 2019, opposite Blitnikoff winner Jamar Chase. Jefferson has always had to work for everything he's gotten. He showed up at LSU as just a two-star prospect who was the last member of his signing class. But at 6 foot 3, 192 pounds, and with hands like glue, he's a receiver with game-breaking potential who never drops a pass, and he showed that maybe in his most famous moment on a 3rd and 17 on the road in Austin against Texas, where his catch and run ended up sealing the game for LSU. Jefferson is an LSU legacy, the brother of former LSU quarterback Jordan Jefferson and safety Ricky Jefferson. This is Matt Moscona of Locked On LSU, your source for LSU content every day. Best player available, I think, Matt. Need fit. Uh, I think a stylistically a player that the Packers could really use. Justin Jefferson, wide receiver, LSU. Slam dunk pick here by the Packers at 30. Yeah, I truly believe they will not have an opportunity for at him. Um, but if you do in this instance, and some people always fall, and that's just the way this works, jump all over it. Um, slot guy that I think you pattern your game after a Michael Thomas, you know, maybe make Rodgers life a little easier with shorter, more timing-based throws as he ages. This would make a ton of sense to me. I mean, a really good player, again, taking somebody off the national title team and serving him right here. Um, I think he's our second best receiver this minute. Right, and I like his ability from the slot. You can move him and Adams around a lot. I think Jefferson will give you a little bit more on the outside, potentially. Might have to work on that aspect of his game because we didn't see a lot of it at LSU last year, a little bit more of it earlier in his career, but he was almost always in the slot last year. But that 4-4-3 at the Combine really helped you feel good about you know what kind of player he is, the complete package, can play outside, can play inside, can move around, can catch underneath, and he's almost undefeated on that option route underneath, that dead leg move he gives guys. It's almost like a point guard crossover, and he's deadly on that, and I think uh, that'll be huge for Aaron Rodgers in that Packers offense. And uh, we're up on my pick here. I am the GM of the San Francisco 49ers as the host of Locked On 49ers. 
And in this mock draft, the way things fell, when I saw those wide receivers falling, I had had a conversation or five with a bunch of GMs talking about the end of the first round. Little teaser here. The 49ers are no longer on the clock. Somebody has come up and I have accepted an offer. We'll find out who that is momentarily. We'll hear from the Locked On NFL draft crew after pick 31 coming up on the Locked On NFL mock draft special. I don't want to ruin the pick here. I'm going to let Cody Rourke, who is the host of Locked On Broncos, make this selection, Matt. But we've talked about how this board fell so far today. And there's a certain position group that... The Denver Broncos are targeting. They came up here. They offered pick 46 in round two, pick 83 in round three to come up to pick 31 and have this selection at the end of round one. And I think you can probably guess in uh, what position group the Broncos might be targeting here after at pick 15, selecting defensive tackle Javon Kinlaw. And with the 31st pick in the 2020 Locked On NFL Draft, the Denver Broncos have traded with the San Francisco 49ers to acquire the 31st pick. The Denver Broncos select wide receiver Denzel Mims from Baylor. And the Broncos get a valuable wide receiver target here that will help them improve on offense. Wide receiver was a big focal point of where the team was looking earlier in the first round. However, the draft board did not fall that way with the Las Vegas Raiders taking CeeDee Lamb from Oklahoma. The San Francisco 49ers taking Jerry Judy from Alabama and the Denver Broncos had their eyes set on speedy wide receiver Henry Ruggs III from Alabama. The Minnesota Vikings swiped up to pick number 14 to take Ruggs which allowed the Denver Broncos to select Javon Kinlaw with pick number 15. One of their other targets they had on their board too, Brandon Ayuk was selected at pick 21 by the Philadelphia Eagles and also Justin Jefferson was another target that the Green Bay Packers had taken at pick number 30 of this year's NFL draft. So the Denver Broncos go with Denzel Mims who has that speed element that they've been missing 4-3 speed to be able to get behind defenses to cause other matchup scenarios that will allow Cortland Sutton to benefit from one-on-one matchups. Mims would be expected to step into a premier role with the Denver Broncos offense likely as the team's number two or number three wide receiver depending on experiences. Vic Fangio likes to get guys accustomed to the offense and to what they've got going on culture-wise before he gives them any starting role, any place on the football team. Denzel Mims is a great character fit for the Denver Broncos. As I had mentioned, he's got that speed element that the team wants, but another thing that stands out about Denzel Mims, he has really good hands, and he's also one of those players that has a tremendous catch radius to be able to contest very tough defended catches with defenders draped all over him. He's also one of those guys that can take a slant route and take it 75 yards for a touchdown, and he understands where to attack defensive backs, especially if they're backpedaling him understands their leverage. He understands how to get body positioning on curl routes, on hook routes, and he's a big-time threat down the football field when Drew Locke wants to throw deep. So this is a great pickup for the Denver Broncos in the 2020 Locked On NFL Draft. Denzel Mims, wide receiver from Baylor. Mims completed his college career with 186 receptions for 2,925 yards and 28 touchdowns through 40 games. It's a really strong number of touchdowns in the games he played, which means that he is a real red zone threat. He had his breakout performance in 2017 when he was just a sophomore. He had 11 catches for 192 and three touchdowns, and that was against number three Oklahoma, which is a really strong performance against a really strong Big 12 defense. 
defense, which should give you a pretty good indicator about how well he plays against defensive backs with NFL talent. Every NFL team is frothing at the mouth over a guy with these measurables at six foot three and 207 pounds. He's an above average combo of size, speed, and natural athletic ability. Mims has impressive body control, lateral mobility, and is terrific after the catch when it does come to breaking tackles and dodging defenders. His route work, though, does need more focus. He does need to be more quick on the release, and he sometimes does lack physicality at the top of his route. But look, as we've seen a lot with wide receivers who have his physical measurables and his size, sometimes that alone will be the X factor in the NFL. And we've seen receivers like DK Metcalf get knocked for their route running, come in and be monster contributors in the NFL. Because no matter how hard you try, you just can't coach a guy to be bigger and stronger than everybody else. Oh, absolutely. Mims could easily complement any receiving core with his raw talent. And if he's plugged into the right system, look out. This is Brian Moot. And Jasmine Sadri of Locked On Big 12. Your source for Big 12 content every day. Denzel Mims, the speedy wide receiver from Baylor, an outside threat, an absolute perfect match with what the Broncos have on offense right now with Cortland Sutton at wide receiver, high upside player, uh, can win now on the outside. I think the rest of his game can develop quite a bit, but man, he threw down a combine for really a combine we haven't seen since Julio Jones as far as a 6'3 wide receiver running 4'3'8". He had a 6.663 cone. He might not play quite to that shiftiness on the field, but sky's the limit for Denzel Mims. Broncos come up into round one and get their guy. They've often been linked to rugs, and I think speed is going to be something they're absolutely after. You have Fant and especially Sutton as intermediate guys, not that they're slow, but they're bigger body target hog type guys, especially Sutton. They just don't have that burner yet that really would open up room for the run game as well. So Ruggs, I think, would be their ideal target. And not that Kinlaw is a consolation prize because he might be as good as anyone on this whole board. But that's what they ended up with. They didn't get their guy. Mentioned the Bush trade before. They have some extra picks from that and other moves. So for to end up with Mims, who is a field stretcher as well, um, A.J. Green type and Kinlaw in this draft, I mean, the Broncos might get my best grade in terms of what they gave up, which – was adequate. It's not like you got screwed over at 31. That's exactly what you're looking for without second, third, and fourth round picks. Yep. But for the Broncos, it doesn't break the bank for them at all. And you end up with Mims and Kinlaw. Good work, Denver. Yeah, absolutely. A win-win here. And the Broncos, if you if you if you want that speed element on offense, a guy that wins outside is that split end, and you can't get Henry Ruggs at 15, who was stolen right in front of them by the, the Minnesota Vikings, which is a trade I also liked. But you still have yeah. such a great player at 15. That's why I don't think the Broncos need to panic at 15, because you still have C.J. Henderson or Javon Kinlaw on the board. Or, you know, you can still get yeah. a really good blue-chip player there. And I love this. They have three third-round picks. They still have two third-rounders after making this deal and coming up and getting their guy in Denzel Mims. And he's, you know, if you if you don't get that speed, of four two seven speed, you still get a guy who's 6'3", and 438 speed in Denzel Mims. Fantastic fit there. I think it's a win-win for the Broncos and the 49ers. And for me, moving down, you mentioned it, the 49ers right now don't have a pick in the second, third, or fourth rounds in this draft. So to be able to go on day two now with two picks in round two, in round three, moving down from 31 makes a ton of sense. And I think it makes a lot more sense for the 49ers, as we've mentioned with that blue chip group, to move down from 31 and take offers there rather than trying to move down from 13 if they want to add day two picks. Yes, and I know we don't have a ton of time, but a quick question for you. If you would have stuck, do you know who you would have taken? I mean, if it would have been my pick 
I probably would have either went for Jalen Johnson or probably would have went for Trevon Diggs and said, hey, Mr. Diggs, this is Mr. Sherman. Do everything he does, and hopefully you can turn into a similar player. <laughs> right, and that's part of it because I think the board didn't fall in a way that would make the 49ers feel like, okay, we have to stay here. I think you would consider maybe Ezra Cleveland uh, looking yeah, ahead, Joe Staley potentially going into his last season, and there's even some whispers right now that Joe Staley might be hanging him up before this season, which is a, a new wrinkle that might change things for the 49ers draft and really add, uh, put offensive tackle up a little higher at pick 13. All those first four often tackles were on the board, so that wasn't even a consideration, but I think that will be a consideration for the 49ers or if any of those top tackles are on the board at 13. So offensive tackle would be a consideration. Uh, I think, yeah, cornerback, like you mentioned, would have to be a consideration, but the way the board fell, if someone like... Yitor Gross Matos or Cesar Ruiz or Josh Jones were still around. I think it would have been a more difficult decision. But as it was now, I think they can get a corner in round two that's pretty close to the Jalen Johnson, Jeff Gladney range. Trevon Diggs might still yeah. be around. Uh, they can add an offensive lineman as well on day two. So it just makes a ton of sense. Yeah, it does. And so I think both teams are happy. I really give the Broncos folks you know, kudos for this one. Though. Nice work. I love this for the trades we've seen so far. Both teams moving up and, and moving down have made a ton of sense in this mock draft. Let's see how Trevor Sikama and Benjamin Solak feel about the trades and all the action here so far on day five of the Locked On NFL mock draft special. Hey, everybody, Trevor Sikama and Benjamin Solak from the Locked On NFL Draft podcast here to give you some breaking news on the analysis for this Denver Broncos move, man. They picked Javon Kinlaw at 15. We thought Denver was going to be done. They don't pick until 46 in the second round. They hop up into the end of the first round, pick 31 here to select Denzel Mims at wide receiver. Ben, when we look at mock drafts for this Denver Broncos team, I think interior defensive line is definitely a need. So it's not like the Javon Kinlaw pick was a bad pick, but a lot of people pegged them going wide receiver. Instead, they wait. And then I guess capitalize on the timing of what is a deep wide receiver class. How do you think they played this move here to go up, get get uh, Denzel Mims here at 31? Yeah, I think it's easy and fun to make fun of John Elway for some of the general managing decisions he's made in the past. But this is, this is a tremendous move here for Denver. And he would be wise to, I think, follow this blueprint if he has the opportunity to come late April. Javon Kinlaw has great value at 15. You don't want to go necessarily reaching for a receiver that you don't love despite your big need. If there's going to be value like Kinlaw at 15, and he makes so much sense for Vic Fangio, who really asks a lot of those defensive tackle he plays, Kinlaw has the ability to be a one-gapper and a two-gapper because of his physical ability. So that's delightful. But now you weren't able to get that top wide receiver that you need to put opposite Cortland Sutton. So many people project Henry Ruggs there, and you elect to pass on him for Kinlaw. Well, guess what? You have an extra third-rounder because of the Emmanuel Sanders trade and another third-rounder because of the Devin Bush trade last year with the Steelers on draft day. So you've added this day-two capital largely to give you the flexibility to make a move just like this, trading back up into the first round. Yeah. As the wide receivers start to come off the board, we saw Brandon Ayuk at 21, Justin Jefferson at 30. Go and get your guy in Denzel Mims. Two tremendous outside threats above the rim catchers on the outside for the Broncos. You probably still do need a speed element, but this is going to be a really tough team to play man coverage against because of the skill set of Sutton and Mims. I think it's a great move. That's such a fun group now that we get to see in Denver. All right, there's one pick left, but we had to jump the gun we had to tell you guys our thoughts on the Denver Broncos pick. Kansas City Chiefs coming up next. Let's finish this up, Matt, with the final selection here on day five, the final selection in round one. A reminder, we'll be back tomorrow recapping the whole thing and checking in with 
the Dallas Cowboys, Houston Texans, Chicago Bears, Pittsburgh Steelers, Los Angeles Rams, and Buffalo Bills. Six teams were not involved in round one. We'll find out what the ideal selections for those teams will be in round two. But right now, it's the Kansas City Chiefs. What does the team do that just came off a Super Bowl victory at the end of round one? What are you looking here if you are the Chiefs? Do you want more speed on offense? Do you want to shore up the offense or defensive lines? Or is it a situation where you're scoring high, you want to keep other teams from making that comeback. So you want to cover guys, right? You want to get after their quarterback late in games if you've got this big lead with this high-powered offense because you know teams are going to come back throwing against you. I've given this one a lot of thought because, like, the fantasy community would be like, take DeAndre Swift, you know, take Jonathan Taylor, Ooh, holy smokes. Yeah. I mean, and that's really alluring. Don't get me wrong. And that's exciting to me. Or give me a high upside defensive player. Or if Queen or Murray were there, I would run to the podium. I think their linebackers are bad and slow. But in the end, I think you're the champs. Your corners aren't great. There's going to be a corner here. Corners are hard to come by. (laughs) All the analytics folks say take a corner. Like, it just adds up too much. Like, give me a corner. And they've done a really good job of revamping that defense in Kansas City. But I think cornerback is the obvious need you mentioned linebacker if the right guy is there you could go that route running back would be fun but Damian Williams was maybe the Super Bowl MVP uh they're gonna be okay at running back and if you right so if you're saying okay well look we could go cornerback running back or we could go running back cornerback is there gonna be a better running back at pick 64 or a better corner if they took a running back here and I would say you go defense here and you see what's there at running back later you know, all the running back in round one or even round two talk for the Chiefs is exciting. And again, you want those guys on your fantasy team. But a kind of underreported move is, that, I mean, they did sign DeAndre Washington this last week. And is he special? No, but maybe I want him on my fantasy team and they're going to go other directions. Let's find out. The pick is in number 32 overall in the Locked On NFL Mock Draft special. Ryan Tracy, host of Locked On Chiefs, standing by with pick 32. I'm Ryan, the host of Locked On Chiefs and the founder of Rogue Analytics. And for the Kansas City Chiefs, coming off of a Super Bowl victory is exhilarating, but it's also very tough in order to keep your team together. But the re-signing of Sammy Watkins means that this team has their entire receiving core back intact from that championship run. That's significant, and that's going towards this draft decision was an outside chance that possibly because of value that the wide receiver might be the position that is the best value at 32 at the time. And certainly the way that this draft fell, you could get into that. That signing really changes everything and narrows down. It sets up what we kind of expected earlier in that the Chiefs have to focus on rebuilding their defense and giving Patrick Mahomes support from the other side of the ball so that he doesn't have to carry the load quite as much. I still think that the most likely scenario is the Chiefs trade back out of 32. But having to to make a choice at the position, we noticed that the two positions of need on the defensive side, there are a few other holes to fill in terms of backup and depth. But places you need starters are at the cornerback and the linebacker levels. And there's really only three options at the linebacker position in this draft. Simmons obviously long gone. And the way that this draft happened to fall, you have both the other options going off the board before the Chiefs are able to select them in Ken Murray of Oklahoma and 
Patrick Queen of LSU. Now, there might be a fourth that could sneak in there. In current rankings, I don't see that happening. So that brings us back to who's likely to be highest on the Chiefs board at 32, the way that this draft has fallen, and what gives them the best option. In stacking the board for the Kansas City Chiefs, knowing what they like and what their tendencies are towards athleticism, towards length and availability, it comes down to the corner position. And there are a lot of second-tier prospects here that are still available. You saw guys like Christian Fulton go, Jeff Gladney go, not all available. AJ Terrell even went much higher than predicted thanks to the Las Vegas Raiders. And in the division in particular, a division that seems to have spent their entire offseason gearing up to attack the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, not only have those positions gone, but so have the wide receiver positions. Just the pick before this, Denzel Mims goes off the board, who was somebody the Chiefs would have been interested in as well. So combat that, you have to have not only a corner that can play in zone and make plays on the ball, but has to be able to run with these prospects, keep up with the bigger wide receivers, and have the physicality to combat what they do. In the end, that brings you to two prospects left on the board. In one, Trayvon Diggs of Alabama, and the other, Jalen Johnson of Utah. And a couple of questions exist about Diggs in terms of injury history. He is more productive on the ball in terms of average. But Johnson gives the Chiefs the best compatibility in being able to play man, play press, play zone, come off and do a number of things that Steve Spagnuolo wants to do in order to disguise his defense. And the Kansas City Chiefs select Jalen Johnson at pick 32. Jalen Johnson, University of Utah cornerback. Johnson was a three-year starter for Utah and tallied 102 total tackles during his time as a Ute to go along with seven interceptions, two of which he returned for touchdowns. Johnson is the latest in a long line of NFL-caliber defensive backs to come from Kyle Whittingham's program, and the key moment that stands out from his career came last November when Utah, trailing at Washington, needed a spark, and Johnson provided just that as he took a Jacob Eason pass the other way 39 yards for a score. That play helped Utah rally to win and keep their then-college football playoff hopes alive. What sets Johnson apart as a player is his mentality. He had a goal when he arrived in Salt Lake City to become a three-year starter, graduate with his degree, and then make the jump to the NFL, and he's done just that. He will need to continue to add weight and work on his strength at the next level to contend with bigger wide receivers who will seek to overpower him while running routes and in the air. He will also need to prove that he is suffering no lingering effects after undergoing surgery for a torn labrum he played with during the 2019 college football season. Johnson's sheer will to succeed will be his greatest strength as he enters the National Football League. He's a determined young man who appears to have a bright future ahead of him in the pro ranks. My name is Jay Catch. You can find more college coverage on the Locked On Podcast Network, including my daily show, Locked On Cougars. And they went with the Utah cornerback, Jalen Johnson to finish up round one corner from Utah. Uh, I like the pick. I think cornerback is the spot. I think it's the most important position there for that Kansas city defense, just under six feet, 193 pounds. You verified what speed he has 36 and a half inch vertical. You got your cover guy, you got your corner and you can feel good about at least a, a complete picture of the evaluation. I think it's a very safe pick for all the reasons you mentioned and he's considered a smart, hardworking guy. Is he going to blow you away physically? Probably not. But you're the Super Bowl champs, and you got a potential starter or a heavy snap guy at a position that's expensive. 
and it's cost controlled. Why you have to pay Mahomes probably isn't going to go to a hundred Pro Bowls, but that's okay. Let's go over day five here on the mock draft, the final episode of round one, and we will be back tomorrow. Don't forget to check in on the teams in round two that did not have selections in round one. Maybe grade some of this. Our our favorite and our least favorite draft picks in the Locked On NFL mock draft special. Pick 27, the Seattle Seahawks selected defensive end Yitor Gross Matos out of Penn State, Patrick Queen, linebacker from LSU to the Ravens at 28. The Titans take a corner, Jeff Gladney out of TCU at 29. Pick 30, it was Justin Jefferson, LSU wide receiver to the Packers. 31, 49ers trade out, Denver Broncos trade in to get Denzel Mims, wide receiver out of Baylor, and Jalen Johnson, the cornerback from Utah, goes to the Kansas City Chiefs at pick 32. Tomorrow, Dallas Cowboys, Houston Texans, Chicago Bears, Pittsburgh Steelers, Los Angeles Rams, Buffalo Bills, the grades, Matt, from you and I. Uh, this has been super fun, and I can't wait to put a bow on this thing tomorrow. Yeah, it's been a blast. Please spread the word. Leave us some reviews on iTunes and all that good stuff. And then how about this? I mean, over yesterday and today's pod, to finish it up, a seven-pick run, four of them were LSU Tigers. Unbelievable. The champion, yeah. the national Colton, champion, Colton, LSU Colton, Tigers. Yeah. yeah, right. Wow. Uh, such a fantastic football team, and uh, this is the results of it. You see a bunch of guys go in the first round. For Matt Williamson, I am Brian Peacock. We'll be back tomorrow with more of the NFL hosts, more of the college profiles, more of the draft dudes, more of the Locked On NFL draft crew right here, Locked On NFL.